Hey guys, welcome to the Lane Foundation's podcast. It's your co-host Davis Hambrick. Doing alongside me today is Walker Lot. What's up, Walker? What's up, Davis? Man, really good to be here. Yet another podcast we got going on. Uh, dude, today we got the honor and the privilege to interview McKelvey Douthit. He is the assistant project manager for Layton Construction. And that's pretty close to my heart because I actually got to work with McKelvey. Uh, him and the team at Layton, uh, we were on the Vanderbilt University new dorm project that they're building. Uh, and I really got a chance to spend time with him and see his leadership and his skills as an assistant project manager, soon to be project manager for Layton. Uh, it was really cool to have a firsthand experience with one of our guests, and I'm really excited for you guys to get to hear it and get to learn a little bit more about them. He just got a lot of wisdom, got a lot of really good advice to give us. So lean in, listen to him, and really enjoy what he has to say. So without further ado, Mikhail, we doubt it. Not much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, well, I'm uh, not that interesting, but uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I uh, just start from Alabama, from a smaller town, Decatur. Uh, born and raised, went to Auburn. Um, stumbled into the building science program at Auburn. Uh, loved it and um, made my way through the program and ended up in Nashville, Tennessee with Layton Construction and uh, started on a dorm project at Vanderbilt three years ago still trying to finish that one should be done in a few months though if we could backtrack for a second you talked about stumbling into you know building science what made you want to get in construction or what made you kind of pursue building science was it a job while you were in Decatur or um, how'd you get there well so I went into Auburn thinking on do engineering probably five percent of building science students um made it through the first semester uh with intro classes and it just wasn't that interesting um and actually that summer before my first year at auburn i interned with an engineering firm and they didn't have much for me to do but i, I dabbled in ad and creating and honestly it was pretty miserable um and kind of found out through engineering through uh at auburn i was a farmhouse and some of the older guys were in building time and i was working on some projects uh that first semester and they started messing with me saying i should do building science and i was just like okay that's funny I, I, you know we've we've had a, a lot of guests on here so far and the common theme that i see with a lot of them is that most of the people started engineering at first and then they realized this is not really, I don't like this. This is not what I thought it was going to be like. And then yeah. they moved to building science or architecture or something similar, you know, and, and I think that kind of goes with one of the aspects of the show is that we are trying to open people's eyes to what construction actually is. You know, when you grow up, especially not really paying attention to what's going on, you kind of think the engineers are the ones that build the building or put everything together you don't realize that oh they just make the plans for it and the structural and make sure it doesn't fall down but you know the the general contractor is the one that actually builds yeah. it so when you when you got into the program and started looking for a job what what drew you to latent what drew you to latent construction and eventually getting up in Nashville? um my first internship i will say i probably just got lucky i uh once again knew an older 
farmhouse that was going to intern and actually worked with Leighton. Um, and I, I talked to him, ended up talking to somebody at a career fair with Leighton and ended up getting offered an internship. Uh, that first internship was actually in Nashville um, and really enjoyed it uh, and turned with them again. Uh, the next summer, I uh, actually changed companies and went to go intern with Holder my third summer before graduating, um, but eventually jumped back to Layton for full um, after I graduated. Um, so honestly, I, I think, you know, I, I enjoy the people and uh, enjoyed my experiences. And so that's how, why I ended up back with Layton full time to answer your question. Yeah, I think that's a, a common theme to a lot of people at least our age, it's similar with Walker too. You're kind of drawn to the company that has great relationships and you you know, have a better experience as an intern. I think it's awesome, honestly, that as building science students, we get the opportunity to go, you know, each semester, if you want, if you want to pursue that, to go to a different company, see what it's like. I think that's a cool perspective. Um, McKelvey, if you can, you know, Walker kind of touched on a little bit of talking about you know if you if you didn't grow up in construction you don't really know what it's about we think that you know the engineers built it and for me personally I, I thought you know civil engineering were the guys that built the built the building but you know finally getting into construction oh wow it's actually general contractor so what do you think why do you think that is why do you think there's this misconception that construction workers you just think of a dirty construction worker, you don't think he's intelligent, or you think that, you know, they can't do it, or what, why do you think we have that? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, you could probably spend hours talking about that. Uh, I mean, it probably has to do with the fact that for the longest time, the engineers made a lot of money and, and did the designing, um, and construction was more of a, a blue-collar, industry where you you didn't need a degree to go into construction and, and most people that worked in construction didn't have degrees um and yeah i think that's starting to change um and it and honestly has to change with as complex as buildings are um, with all the different controls that they throw in these buildings um energy efficiency and, and whatever else they want yeah i think that I don't know. I, I, you know, it's really you watch how the world's gone and most of the energy and the money put in to the economy into different areas. And yes, construction is one of the most area, one of the highest areas where money is poured into the economy. But most of the attention that you see on the news and everywhere else is put towards new technology and it's put towards, you know, going green and all these different types of companies. You don't really see a lot of construction uh, companies coming out of the you know the blue except for a few construction technology companies but they don't really talk about the people within that industry mm -hmm. you know and the thing about construction is you can't you can't replace people with technology like yeah. you can in a lot of other in a lot of other jobs so you have to have someone on the job site hammering a nail managing the construction site and there's a you know there are things on the site that technology can help improve you know i've seen and i've seen a robotic bricklayer before and you just stack, start stacking the bricks and going up. But you know mm -hmm. you have to have someone to set that up. You have to have someone to fill in the bricks. 
So as from being in the construction industry for a while now and, and kind of seeing a lot of different things, I know Vanderbilt is a huge project. I mean, it's a couple hundred million dollars, you know, combined. What has been your biggest eye-opening experience from coming from college into the real world of what you noticed is not at all like you expected? It's mm. a good question. Um, you know, one thing that I, I didn't expect um, before I started work was just how important relationships would be at work and with your subs, with the owner um, and how you, how you talk to people. I mean, there's, there's something to be said about having a good relationship and, and wanting to do something for somebody and, and somebody wanting to do something for you. I mean, if there's two people asking me to do something, I'm going to prioritize that task by who I like working with more or, you know, who hasn't pissed me off, you know? <laughs> um, honestly, I think that's one of the biggest things that surprised me about work. Now that you could probably apply that to all industries, I would have to imagine. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where I'd start. I, I think, you know, it, it's pretty crazy to see how much, focus has to be applied to you know every little detail on the project there's so many different processes and um things to look into and, it, and every day is different which is one reason i enjoy what i do yeah i, I like that with kelby i think relationships like you said could go for any for any industry but i think it's really paramount for the construction industry um i didn't realize how important it was to until you you know, you go out to these internships now working full time, you see the the weight of, of if you have a good relationship, how well that project team can work together. Because if not, the relationships will, like you said, tend to your work and then your work is then starting to, you know, tank off and then you're not delivering a, a successful product. But um, moving on a little bit, I want to know from your perspective, um, give us an example of what it is to add a value to, you know, the person that's above you and an older vet, you know, while I talk a lot about, you know, as a, as young guys, relatively young guys in this industry, what, how do you add value to the guys that maybe don't know how to use technology or think you're some young buck that, you know, thinks he knows everything, but really doesn't, you know, tell us a good example of maybe how you've done that or what that looks like to you. Oh, on how to, teach uh, some of the older guys to use technology man that that might be a lost cause over at my project superintendents are like in their 40s early 40s um and they're really starting to buy into uh the processes and tools that we have with uh software on ipads and the computers i mean it really automates things and and centralizes information um but the, I mean, that information is only as good as the input and we've got a, a good project engineer on the job. Uh, she's doing awesome, making sure all the information is there and um, we'll do the same for the next project. Uh, I honestly didn't do the best with uh, my project, the first uh, of the three dorms we're building, but uh, I had a little bit of a learning curve and, you know, have hope to uh, 
teach better than I have done on this second project. So that I think, you know, people are only going to utilize the tools and technology uh, if they're willing to. And, you know, um, it's kind of hard with senior leadership guys sometimes use it every day. And, you know, they, they kind of just hand it off to the guys that actually need to use it. Um, that's a question you're a response you're looking for, right? Well, I just wanted to see, maybe it's my fault for not communicating that. What does it look like when you try to add value? It, it doesn't have to, I shouldn't have used the technology instance. because I know. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's something that I've noticed. You know, I did thesis research, uh, McKelvey, where I went and talked to people about, you know, skilled labor gap. But in that time, I talked about how Walker's brought this up in previous podcast, how there has been a gap in the age of when guys are retiring and where we're go- going into construction. There's like, you know, 50 to, yeah. I don't know, 20 or 30 years difference. And if we don't learn that stuff, we're just, those guys are going to leave and we're going to just be having to figure it out for ourselves, which I get that's our industry. But how do you add value to that guy? You know, it's hard. And I just want to see what, is there a good example that you have? We get in, we've got to take it in as quickly as we can because those guys are retiring. We hopefully get pushed up into a, to a higher position. Um, I know, Davis, you've been working for a few months now. Industry. I mean, you, you honestly will pick up on everything a lot quicker. You were asking uh, how we can provide benefits or, you know, support to the, the guys in between that gap. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, how do we add value? So, you know, I explained this. Well, some of the one of the things I heard John Maxwell say was um, one of the things when people move up, and you just think of this as a hierarchy. Because I want to ask you later how you define leadership, but if you think of a hierarchy, you think of the person moving up to that next step. So for you, it'd be project manager above that, senior project manager, and he talks about how. When you get to that role, it's even more on the senior project manager to learn how to lower that gap and make that gap insignificant or make it very small because that gap between where he used to be as an APM, he should be able to recall and, oh, I know how to communicate this guy. I know what he's going through. I know how to you know have a relationship with him. So I was just curious of what do you think? Is there something, you know, a trait or there's just something that's tangible that you could think of. Uh, how can I add value to that guy being a young guy, not knowing as much as they do, but I can still help them in a, in a way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just the best thing you can do to add value to, to any project is just have a good attitude and, and do everything with, with all you've got. I mean, I think there's something to be said with effort. Um, and a good attitude. Uh, and, you know, if, if you provide two things, I think the knowledge and success will follow with that. I think that's, I think it's really great, especially how you put it. And, and for me, coming from an outside perspective, looking in, especially because I've gotten to work with you and, and work with the team at Vanderbilt and, and see exactly how everyone works together, uh, you do exactly that. You know, you're the guy that kind of people will throw things on you and they don't know where to put it and you and you take it and roll with it. And you always had a good attitude about it. And you go and manage the project and you get it done. You know, that was something I very much 
uh, admired and, and looked up to and, and kind of wanted to emulate how you did things and especially how you managed the different architect and the uh, different subs that you had to deal with on a daily basis. And, and it was really cool also just to kind of see the growth that occurred with everyone while I was there, um, you know, because you would – it started – with a whole new set of interns, you know, the very beginning of the summer and you don't really know everyone. You don't really know how people work. And I'm watching, you know, McKelvey and I didn't see, shoot, I didn't see Johnny for uh, three weeks because his wife just had the, his baby. <laughs> yeah, so, that's true. And so I didn't even, I didn't even meet Johnny for the first three weeks. So that everything's <laughs> chaotic and I'm just like, McKelvey, what you want me to do, man? You know, and you kind of, you definitely stepped in and became a good sounding block and, and definitely showed the advice that you gave of just having a great attitude and, and also, you know, pulling people up below you who don't really know what's going on, you know? And uh, I think it's, it's pretty hard, especially when you're in that position running such a large project. Cause yeah, I'd come to you and be like, Hey man, you know what you, what you need me to do. You're like, bro, I don't, I, you know, I don't got anything right now. And it's, you know, and from my point of view, it's like, it is harder for you to, you know, have a list of things that I need to do than it just be because you're on a roll having to go and just, I got, I, I got this done. I got this done. I got this done. This lady's working with this, this guy's doing this, you know, and you get to a spot where yeah. it's like you're, you're going, you know, and it's, it's hard to branch off and, and separate things. And I think, you know, you definitely really did a great job of, of managing everything that way. So as a new, uh, even project engineer, because usually that's where everyone starts. What is what is the biggest learning aspect, biggest thing that you faced when you got there? You know, learning curve is the word I'm looking for. Going from college, just kind of getting thrown into the fire, because that's really what you do. You know, you get thrown into the fire and you just got to figure it out. And that's something you told me too. You know, you, you I vividly remember you saying, you're not going to know most of the things that we're asking you to do. But you just got to figure it out. And you got to search the thing. You got to search the documents. You got to look it up on Google. Google's your best friend, you know, and yeah, and asking people is is uh, the best thing to do. And I, you know, I thought that was great advice because it's kind of like life. You're not going to get a handheld throughout everything. You just kind of got to figure it out on your own. So for you and your experience and your um, time as a project engineer, what was your biggest learning curve you had to face? Well, First step when I graduated from college and, and started, I had to eat my ego a little bit because I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I think, like you said, you just, you've got to go into it and, and you just kind of got to figure it out. I mean, you're not always going to know. I mean, I've got a construction manager I'm working with, he doesn't always have the answers. I mean, and when you were coming to me with questions last summer, I didn't always know the answer. And I knew that information was out there. I didn't know how to tell you to find it, but I could tell you it was out there, which you can't really tell an intern that, hey, the information's out there. Just go find it because so they have no somewhere. concept. <laughs> it's somewhere in there, somewhere in there. Um, but man, you just got to be a problem solver. Uh, as working in construction and whatever that may be, you just, you've got to figure it out. I mean, you're, you're the guy that has got to figure out what to do and make decisions uh, ultimately. Um, and you, you, you know, you can't get tied up in making a decision because project's going to keep moving, whether you're making a decision or not. 
um, even if you make the wrong decision, it's better to, you know, make a decision, keep moving. Um, I think I got lost with my answer a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I mean, well, I know that, she gotta, you know, speaking to that, just making a decision and learning from it. One great example that I can think of, especially with this project that we were on is the windows, you know, it was like the first, uh, the the first project is all I heard about was how much of a pain in the butt <laughs> the windows were, and yeah. you know, so the second project they're like we're not going to have it this way, and that is, me and Drew, uh, he, the other intern who'll be on the show at some point too, that's all we did for weeks was count these windows you oh know, three gosh. or four times, make sure they're on it, make sure that the the lead time is correct, and we got the contract going. I mean that I think that's a great example of learning from something you did initially, and then applying that to the next project in a big way oh yeah and we've learned from our lessons um and if any of you ever get on a project and they say we're doing target value design or you know some sort of cost cutting mechanism run it's gonna make your life hell it's not fun throws off everything no it was not it delayed everything on the project. We couldn't release any materials, any finishes, any windows. Um, we've got our battle scars from the first building. We're doing better on the second. Kevin, what is what is target target value? What did you say? Target value? Yeah, target value design. Um, yeah, can, what is that? It's just a fancy way of saying we're. Uh, it's just a fancy way of saying they're going to cut costs by changing the design. No, you're okay. I was trying to the to, to stay with you. I think I lost you a little bit, but I think I got the gist of it. Um, it sounds like a, a long and tedious process that I, I will let you let you take over. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's one of the things I've noticed. Um, Walker and I have talked about this, McKelvey, and it. I didn't realize too. We talked about relationships earlier, but now I want to talk about people's personalities. You go into construction and you see all these different types of personalities. Um, I have seen, or you mentioned it, and I'm fumbling this around a lot, but I have noticed that personality helps, but really what the project makes a person do is even more important to me because I see a bunch of guys that have a different personality, but they're having to be like an introvert detailed guy. That's not them that like they're, they're just struggling to get by with things. And, you know, the best example I can give you is I've been in a schedule meeting and literally everybody is so focused on what they have and they haven't all looked at the big picture of like, Hey, this is all, this is it. This is the whole part. Not just the one thing, this window or, Hey, just my electric wire. And I think, you know, being OCD and too into the details from, from my experience has got to the point where it's like, let's, let's peel it back. Let's look at the big picture. How can we work together? Can you talk about that? If that, if that even makes any sense? Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, there are a lot of characters and, and personalities on a construction project. And if you're a superintendent, you see all of that firsthand. There are some characters for skilled labor on the project um but yeah i mean to your point about the scheduling meetings uh you know that that's kind of our role the 
project manager and, and superintendent is to keep that big picture in mind. Um, because subcontractors, when they walk in that meeting, they're only thinking about themselves and, and they need to be, and they're going to be focused on their task and activity at hand for that day, that week, or what's coming up the next month. Um, but our job as a construction manager is to keep the big picture in mind and make the hard decisions on, you know, I've got to go tell this guy that I know that you want to go pour these footings over here, but you, you can't cause I've still got to put some uh, underground piping in, you know, it it's keeping the big picture in mind, making sure everybody's going in sequence. Um, it's, it's not all about, you know, just laying down as much work as you can because concrete guys are all about laying some concrete as quickly as they can. That's for sure. Well, why do you think that is, though, McKelvey? Why do you think that – and this is just how I'm thinking. You know, I'm really new to this whole process, but why do you think the subcontractor only comes in and – I get it. He's worried about his company and what he's doing, but I'm thinking about – from a common sense standpoint, but I guess it's from the GC standpoint, I want to know what everybody's doing so I can coordinate and work together better as a team. You know, I get it that at the end of the day, our companies mm -hmm. here are, are, are to make money and to deliver a successful project to the owner, whoever that may be. But in reality, I want to work well with you because if I work well with you, you being electrical contractor and you know, mechanical guy, it doesn't really matter. The, the concrete guy, I want to work well with you because we need to come together as a team. And I guarantee if you do that, you're going to make money, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if all of these subs were able to coordinate amongst themselves, they wouldn't really need us. Um, Didn't think about that. That's true. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a quote you'll hear thrown around if you haven't yet. Um, we. We wouldn't be needed if these subs can do it themselves, but they, they can't. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts and um, it gives us a job at least to, to manage a project, uh, manage everybody's priorities um, on the project and, and profitably quality product owner we'll be happy with. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's what most people don't realize a GC really is, is, you know, we're kind of over glorified managers. I mean, that's, that's, that's really what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, we, but you, you know, you get to put your name on the, on the fence and get to say that we built this, but in reality, unless you are a sub, unless you're a GC who does a lot of self-perform work, which for those of you who don't know what self-perform means, basically you have a specialty trade within your company and it's usually concrete uh, you know, if you are not a, a GC who self-performs self -performs a lot of work, then you really didn't build anything. All you did was manage it, just make sure the job runs smoothly in order for the skilled tradesmen to build it. Uh, and I think that's what most people don't realize about a GC. Is that's, really, that's really what we are, you know, or they are. I guess I can't say that right now because I'm not working for a GC except for my internship. Uh, but, McKelvey, you know, I, we spoke with a superintendent in the past about, having to manage subs and manage them in a way that you are strict, but you're also friendly enough to where, you know, they want to work for you. So speaking mm -hmm. on that, 
how do you find the balance of managing these subcontractors who come to you with all these different requests or excuses, you know, which are sometimes the case of we need to do this or we can't do this, or this is why we didn't get this done. And you know, how do you manage being strict with them saying you got to get this done right now, as well as keeping it friendly enough to where they want to work for you and they want to help you out as much as they can. Yeah, that's definitely a balance. And I think that goes back to the relationship aspect. Um, but I, I do think uh, you have to treat everybody the same on a job site. Um, and in reality, you won't, but you need to provide that perception as, as much as you can as a superintendent. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think you, you have to be nice uh just to be you know friends with somebody on the job site and have a good relationship i mean i think there's something to be said about just holding somebody accountable accountable um and and letting them know when they're they're slipping um and I, I don't think that's always a negative thing i think people respect and are open to being held held accountable and and doing things the right way yeah people Walker's talked about that before. I think um, as men, we're, we're pretty okay with being held accountable, but how we do it may be the way of some of the reasons why we have problems. You know, like you said, you don't have to be a complete jerk to, to, to hold somebody accountable. You know, you can be, yeah, still be nice. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I think it's, it's how you talk to people as well. I mean, I could I could get on to somebody and, and get my message across uh, and then I could do the same thing and and use a lot of curse words and derogatory remarks and it's not needed and it, it doesn't benefit benefit either of you. It just hurts the relationship and it'll probably help less, honestly. So you should it just gotta handle it the right way. Right. Yeah, and I think that's uh one of the things that, you know, I'm trying to wrap my head around as someone that's new in the industry is, you know, seeing these old guys that don't, that don't, you know, bully what you think they thought they would. And they're actually, you know, these kind guys and they still are able to get things done. And, you know, I see that and okay, wow, it works. I, I can do that too. And I'm not just some crazy guy that doesn't think I have to yell and scream at somebody to get something done, but I'm kind of shifting here. If we can talk about one of the things that, I'm very curious about is how each person defines leadership, this leadership, you know, it's different to everybody. It's this kind of ambiguous, ambiguous word that you don't really know what it means, but to each person, it means something different. Um, Kelly, if you could maybe tell me how you define leadership and then maybe give me an example of a time, you know, a leader, either you or someone in your company while you were there, you thought, wow, that was a really good defining leadership moment for them or for me. You know, I think for me, uh, somebody that I see as a good leader uh, has always been through their actions uh, more than their words. Um, there's, there's always going to be people that have a, a knack for being good communicators. Um, need, uh, nothing against that um but i i think the things done that do what they say they're going to do um that come into work every day and, and give their best effort are 
are the best leaders. Um, you know, it, it, I think another part to that uh, is being able to make decisions and live with them. And sometimes that means owning up to your mistake. You know, that, that's kind of how I view leadership. Um, no, no fancy definition by any means. It's kind of how I've always looked at it, though. No, I think that's a fantastic way of looking at it. Definitely a really good definition for it. Just doing what you say you're going to do. You know, and I definitely, again, coming from an outside perspective of, of being on the job site and getting to actually see you guys work, you know, which is definitely not the case that we've had for the guests on the show. You know, we've, for most of them, we never met them in person before. We've met over Zoom and, and just talked to them here. So we never actually gotten to see them work, you know, and, but they all kind of have a similar definition of leadership or at least one very close to it where it's just, it's having character enough to, to do what you say you're going to do and to do it well and not complain about it, you know? And, and so definitely seeing you and, and Johnny and, and Olivia and everyone in the office, really, uh, y'all definitely follow that definition very well. And, you know, no one, no one really complains and they don't really talk bad what they might have to do. They sure. You know, they might be like, Oh man, I don't really want to do this, but they do it anyway. Yeah. And they go and, and they get it done and they get it done well and they make the project run smoothly, you know? And that was, it's really cool to see that, especially see that in an office with so many people on such a big job site, mm -hmm. because usually when you have a lot of people that have to work together like that, you know, things can get pretty hectic, uh, but y'all do it very well. And it's really cool to see, but McKelvey, we're starting to run a little bit out of time. Uh, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. Really appreciate you being on here it, for one of the, uh, last questions i, I want to just kind of get your opinion and your in your thought on if you could go back to your 20 year old self or your you freshman sophomore year of college knowing what you know now what is some of the advice that you would give yourself going forward in school in life in general what's something you wish that you knew back then you know with the knowledge and the wisdom that you gained from the five or six, seven years that you've been out of school? That's a tough question. Uh, you know, I've heard this question asked before, um, and I don't think you're asking if I would go back and change anything. Uh, and, I, and I don't think I would, <laughs> even with all the mistakes I've made. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd probably just go back and tell myself to just uh, – keep going when it gets hard, uh, and push harder. That's good. Um, I mean that, you know, life's going to get hard and, you know, you're going to want to, you know, take the easy road at time, but, but don't, you know, just, just keep pushing as part of life. There's ups and downs and you're going to be all right. I like it. I think that's fantastic advice, especially for, you know, freshman year is hard on everyone. I know it was for me, at least I hated freshman year. And, yeah. and so to hear that advice you know, is really good just because life's going to go on. It's going to continue. you got to push through it and push through, especially the hard times because everyone's got them. Yeah. Yeah. It might take you five and a half years to graduate, but you'll get there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. <laughs> oh, but, McKelvey, man, we really appreciate you having having you on the show and being willing to speak to us. Man, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for being here, and, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon.
Thanks for joining us for the Laying Foundations podcast. I'm your co-host, Walker Lott, here with my co-host, Davis Hambrick. We really appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, we look forward to many more episodes we have planned for you. Look for us every Monday. We have an episode coming out. We're also working very diligently to get our social media accounts as well as our webpage up so you can learn a little bit more about us and follow us as we go along this journey. Thank you.